all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, host of the original Southern Remedy, the show where I answer your medical questions. Subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on any podcasting app. Think Radio. This is Southern Remedy Women's Health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. Happy Friday, everyone. I have kind of missed hanging out with you guys. Uh, the past, We had our radiothon, and then I was out of town last week, so it feels good um, to be back on air. Um, and so pretty much today, I decided to mix it up a little bit and more so preparation for the upcoming holiday and the time of the year it is. So I decided to talk a little bit about upper respiratory tract infections. And I guess a better way to say it is probably respiratory tract infections because I'll probably focus a lot on um, upper respiratory, but we might have some time to kind of dig in a little bit deeper and cover a couple of the more lower respiratory tract infections. But it is definitely that time of year that we're seeing the what we call the common cold, all the runny nose, congestion. Um, I, you know, anybody that's got kids know what time of year it is because it's as soon as they get better, it's like they're sick all over again. As I thought, it would be a pretty hot topic. We've got our first caller who, Walker, good morning, Walker. How are you? Uh, well, I'm stuffed up, but uh, uh, getting better, thank you. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, tell me a little bit about your question. Okay. Uh, it's been two years since I've had a bad cold, but I caught one apparently last Sunday night, and I uh, wanted to go to Sudafed, which I'd gone to before, and I understand the, the issues with that. It has to be distributed behind the counter from the pharmacist. And I went to a pharmacist at, uh, I guess I can say Walgreens, mm-hmm. uh, and asked for Sudafed, and she asked me... Uh, you know, what my problem was, and I said, well, my nose is stopped up, and I got post-nasal drip. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, she steered me to a Walgreens product called Allergy Relief D12, which is uh, pseudofetogram sulfate, 120 milligrams, and loratadine, 5 milligrams, uh-huh. and histamine, which she gave me, and it didn't do a lot of good. I think it's just a three-day cold that's going to pass or not. It has started to pass. But it did have an issue uh, that I, I'm 76 years old. I do have an enlarged prostate. Fortunately, it's not cancerous. But it does have a warning on the back uh, to uh, not be using this if you have, or to talk with your doctor first uh, if you have a, an issue with that. Uh, and uh, uh, when she asked where I wanted a 12-hour or 24-hour, I said I didn't care. I was having to urinate, you know, every three hours anyway. Uh-huh. She missed, she missed the possibility that I was taking a drug that warns against taking it with an enlarged prostate, 
and I took it, and I had 12 hours where I couldn't urinate at all. Yes, sir. So that was unfortunate. But I guess my question is, is Sudafed still a good product for uh, addressing just the congestion and the post-nasal drip? I mean, I now have, of course, a throat issue because it's continued to drip for, for the three days that I, that I had the, the bad issue. But that's my question. Uh, uh, what can you tell me about Sudafed as, as a legitimate uh, uh, as a medication, definitely. So actually, Sudafed is a, so pseudoephedrine, um, or Sudafed is the kind of brand name for it, but there are many products that have pseudoephedrine in it, and it is an effective decongestant. So that medication, that particular part of your medication alone, pseudoephedrine is very effective against uh, congestion. So it pretty much is constricting those um, those uh, vessels and help it, which is causing a lot of your congestion and people can get relief from the pseudoephedrine. The problem with pseudoephedrine and why it's behind the counter is people have used it to make methamphetamines. Um, and so now just recently um, has it been available over the counter again in Mississippi, mainly because not only can you know you make drugs from that, but the side effects of it are elevated blood pressure your elevated heart rate. Um, and, you know, so we kind of tell people that have got that have problems with their blood pressure or heart problems. It's one of the ones you kind of want to avoid. So but to answer the question, yes, Sudafed is still a wonderful option for some people. But it sounds like you're one of those people that it may not be working great for. Um, so, again, you know, in some it does give some symptom relief and others it doesn't. Now, the part that was the problem with your prostate was the antihistamine portion, the loratadine. So the loratadine can help when people have runny nose um, or help with post-nasal drip. So that antihistamine dries up those secretions. Um, so you got two different medicines doing two different things. The pseudoephedrine as your decongestant, and lots of studies have shown that that can be an effective option to help for decongestion. And the loratadine as your antihistamine, that is kind of drying the nasal passages passages up, hopefully helping with the post-nasal drip. But a side effect of antihistamine, so that's going to be your loratadine, um, so you know, Claritin or Zyrtex or Tyrosine, um, you've got Zazol, all those antihistamines or Benadryl is another type of antihistamine can cause urinary retention. So patients that have an enlarged prostate, it can exacerbate that. So that was the side effect you were dealing with, not from the pseudoephedrine, but from the antihistamine portion. Like what happened? Uh, so the straight uh, uh, pseudoephedrine, or I mean, the little red pills that I know as pseudoephed that I understand the difficulty with uh, with being misused. Uh, that would have been where I should have gone without the antihistamine. Yes, you would have been fine to just do that from that decongestant portion. Yes, sir. Well, listen, that answers my question. I thank you very much. No and problem. I, I appreciate your call. Okay, well, I'm sorry I'm not a woman, but uh, I appreciate. No, you. no, I think this is per- this is perfect. You take good care. Okay. Thank you. Hope you get better. All right. Bye. Bye. Perfect. Well, Walker brings up a good, and we'll go over all the options that are over the counter in the management of a lot of your cold symptoms. And that's kind of why, you know, I kind of picked the topic for today because we're about to be seeing a lot of relatives, a lot of travel, a lot of enclosed spaces. We're in the clinics already getting all those phone calls, lots of colds, people trying to figure out, do I need to go to the doctor? Can I handle this at home? What can I safely take over the counter? So I hope to answer a good bit of those questions today. But the interesting thing about it that I hope to help people with today is 
interestingly enough, most upper respiratory tract infections, 90% of them are viral. So I have so many patients that get frustrated. They go to the doctor day two of feeling poorly or like Walker day three of feeling poorly show up and I'm telling them what to do, you know, telling them my recommendations. And they're like, where's my antibiotic? You know, interestingly enough, so many studies are telling us, you know, if you've got classic symptoms of a cold and you don't have anything that tells me a lot more serious infection is going on, the recommendation is not to do antibiotics for a respiratory tract infection because 90% of the upper respiratory tract infections, the common cold, is a viral illness. Now, lower respiratory tract infections where we're kind of down in the lungs, those types of things, only about 30% of those are viral in adults. Different conversation for kids, but when we're talking about adults, about only 30% of those are viral. So a little bit different conversation when we're talking about that. But most upper respiratory tract infections around this time of year are from the common cold. So as we know, what are some risk factors for it? If you are working around kids, you already know if you're in a daycare, if you're in a school, if you are, you know, mom, dad, grandparents, those little kids, they are like the little vectors for the cold viruses. So if you're in close contact, you're usually at pretty increased risk. So my joke is always um, to my family, my other hat is a pediatrician is I feel at this point I've been exposed to it all. So I feel a little bit like I got a super immune system. System here, not technically, but you know, um, because between my kids and work, I feel like I've built up a pretty good immune system. But if you have co- close contact with children, you're increased risk of uh, upper respiratory tract infection. Um, if you have a lot of other respiratory disorders, so my asthmatic patients, if you've already just got some allergic allergies, allergic rhinitis at baseline, you're at increased risk. Smoking is a huge uh, factor that increases your risk of upper respiratory tract infections. And then, of course, all of our patients who are already immunocompromised. So those with underlying lung disorders, HIV, if you're on chronic steroids for, let's say, rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or something like that, um, all those things are going to increase your risk of essentially upper respiratory tract infection. I don't think I have to tell everybody what all the symptoms are, but just as a recap, so runny nose um, for some people is a main symptoms. You could have a lot of congestion. Post-nasal drip like our caller walker can be um, that some people can get a little bit of a sore throat from that post-nasal drip. You definitely can get a cough as well. It doesn't mean that it's all the way down in the lungs like so many people are worried about, but that, you know, your body's doing what it's supposed to do. Things are draining back there and you're trying to make sure you cough it up so that it's not going down into the lungs. So again, those are all kind of our common uh, symptoms of having a cold. And like I said before, happy Friday to everyone. I decided to change it up a little bit in preparation for Thanksgiving and just it being cold season and just kind of doing a review on the common cold and other kind of respiratory viruses this morning. Um, I laugh because I want to say happy Thanksgiving. My daughter makes me laugh because she was she was like, everyone has just skipped over Thanksgiving, mom, because we've already got a lot of Christmas decorations in our neighborhood and things like that. Um, So, you know, I still Thanksgiving is still one of my favorite holidays. Uh, My family gets together. And and we have a good time, game nights, eat good, all that fun stuff. So I hope all of you um, have some fun plans for Thanksgiving as well. Um, So getting back a little bit to um, our colds and coughs and all that good stuff is I talked a little bit about the common cold. And so the cold virus can be actually the cold can be caused by multiple different types of viruses. It's not just one. And that's why it makes the cold, you know, colds very challenging to treat. So one of the most common 
common one is the rhinovirus that causes a cold that many people know about. But you can get things that we call adenovirus, parainfluenza virus. RSV is a new big one that we're seeing a lot more of in adults, known it for a while in kids, but we're definitely affecting adults a lot more severely than in the past. But typically, RSV or respiratory syncytial virus has typically just been like a common cold to most adults. Um, enterovirus, and then of course, of course, we know COVID or coronavirus um, as well. And actually, there was a version of coronavirus was out well before COVID. It's just the type of virus that COVID is. So, long story short, you know, you can have symptoms of upper respiratory things like we're talking about today. But depending on what virus you have, you can also have almost like a gastro type symptom. So you start off with upper respiratory symptoms and then you get some vomiting, you get some diarrhea, all those kind of things you can see even with these um, upper respiratory tract infections that are often caused by a virus. So common cold. But we also know it's that time of the year, too. So we've got flu floating around as well. Knock on wood, y'all. Uh, my other physicians can call in and tell me differently. I haven't seen too many cases of flu so far. So we'll see. There's still some out there. Don't get me wrong, but not typically um, like what I've seen around. So, uh, but definitely make sure we want to keep our eyes out for that. So we all know what it feels like to have a cold. So the question becomes, what works? What should I do? What, you know, what is the literature saying are good treatment options for cold symptoms. So what is the literature saying? A lot of it, we just can't agree. And that's why it's hard to figure out what to take because all of the studies, really most of them are conflicting or inconsistent or weren't large enough or those types of things. So I'll kind of give you the information and kind of let you make up your mind. Of course, talk with your doctor. All of us have, you know, complicated in some of us complex medical conditions. And we want to make sure that you're doing what's right for your health as well. But for the most part, we'll just kind of dive right in. So Good old Tylenol or acetaminophen, and then that's got its own category. And then, of course, NSAIDs, your um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs are like your Aleve, Ibuprofen or Motrin, Naproxen, those types of things, or even aspirin. So that's what we call um, analgesics or antipyretics. So if you're having fevers, Tylenol or uh, NSAIDs are going to be helpful with those symptoms. Of course, we know studies consistently show that those things help with that. But it also shows that it's very helpful for the other symptoms of a cold. So headache, ear pain, muscle aches, joint pains that can go, go along with a lot of these viruses. Tylenol or ibuprofen, Motrin, naproxen, of course, are wonderful options for you to take for those symptoms. So things to remember are patients with liver disease, making sure uh, if you're okay to take Tylenol, make sure that dosing is appropriate from talking with your doctor. Um, I oftentimes get my patients think because it's over the counter that the directions on the bottle are a suggestion. No, please follow the directions on the bottle. Three tabs of Tylenol is not safe. You know, the max dose for, you know, kind of a looking at least a single uh, for most people with normal functioning liver is 3000 milligrams of Tylenol a day. That's your maximum dose. And a lot of my patients that are having colds can usually safely take 1000 milligrams every eight hours to help you with your symptoms. So outside of having liver disease or something like that, Tylenol is usually a fairly safe option to help with the headaches, the ear pains, the muscle aches, the joint pains. 
NSAIDs, of course, if you don't have chronic kidney disease or any other um, contraindications um, to you taking NSAIDs, they're a wonderful option for headache, ear pain, muscle aches, or joint pains. My patients ask me which one's better. I say it's whichever one is helping your symptoms. So if Tylenol is working better, take the Tylenol. If ibuprofen is working better, take the ibuprofen or Aleve. Whatever works for you, those are wonderful options. So the other uh, question becomes, what about uh, our antihistamine? So we started that conversation a little bit when we were talking um, to uh, Walker, who, who asked about it. So antihistamines are good more for symptoms like if you've got a lot of runny nose, a lot of secretions, because antihistamines oftentimes are going to dry those things up. Not necessarily the best option for cough. So I have people say, well, I took a Claritin. I'm still coughing. Well, I'm not too surprised about that because it's not, you know, necessarily what that's for. Now, if you've got asthma, allergies, something else going on, then Claritin might help your chronic cough. But those for new cold symptoms, a lot of times if you're just pouring, I hate to say it, pouring snot or whatever it may be, you know, those antihistamines um, can be a wonderful option. Now, you have your longer acting antihistamines that are a little bit less sedating. And those are the ones um, that, as I mentioned before, that's that Zyrtec um, or Cetirizine. You've got Loratadine or Claritin, um, a Allegra is another option. Zizol, those are all kind of in the antihistamine classes, work fairly similarly. Um, and you just kind of pick the one that works best for you. Allegra is known to be the least sedating. So if you're sensitive to medicines, they make you pretty sleepy. You know, Allegra might be the one that you want to go for. Um, Zyrtec, Zizol being some of the more sedating ones that can make you a little bit sleepier. Benadryl, also an antihistamine, um, can be known to make you pretty drowsy and not a lot of good studies show that Benadryl is very helpful in this time. may help you sleep some, um, but some people it can give you kind of that hangover, groggy feeling. But as I've said before, if it works for you, it works for you. Keep doing it. But again, that's kind of what the studies are saying as far as that goes. As we talked about a little bit for with Walker, if you missed it a little bit earlier, what about the decongestant? So a lot of issues with people with colds, they feel so much sinus kind of congestion um, and those types of things. And so good options um, for decongestants, you actually have two options. You can take it topically, so meaning you can do a nasal spray that has a decongestant in it, or you can take it orally. The two big decongestant medications that you're going to see over the counter are going to be, I know they made the name sound very similar, so it makes it frustrating for patients, but Phenylephrine, that is a decongestant that is not behind the counter with the pharmacist and is a part of a lot of combination of medications. And typically that is dosed at like five or 10 milligrams. So that's phenylephrine. There are a lot of studies that say phenylephrine is not that great and really doesn't give us a whole lot of benefits. But studies have shown that pseudoephedrine, that's the one that's in Sudafed, that was for a while required a prescription, but now available over the counter behind the pharmacy counter, pseudoephedrine has been shown to be effective um, for helping as a decongestant with symptoms, as I mentioned before, if you're having a lot of pressure um, or congestion kind of type symptoms, pseudoephedrine is a great option. And that dosing is usually 30 milligrams. That's the shorter acting dose dosage that's um, a lot smaller doses, 60 milligrams, and the 120 milligram is more of the extended release. So I tell patients, if you're a little sensitive to medicine, I wouldn't go for the 120 because it can hang around for a long time. Um, Go for that kind of shorter dosing. 
Pseudoephedrine's a great decongestant, but the problem is, is as I mentioned before, if you've got heart problems or high blood pressure, pseudoephedrine is notorious for raising patients' blood pressure, raising your heart rate. So I'll get patients that have been taking over-the-counter medication and like, I don't know what's going on with my blood pressure. So look at the box and see what the active ingredients are for your medications um, when you're taking them. So phenylephrine, it has the same side effects as Sudafed. So just because it's got five milligrams on the box or 10 milligrams of the box doesn't mean it's safer It or because it's a smaller dose. It still can raise your blood pressure. It still can raise your heart rate and unfortunately with minimal benefits. So if you're picking a decongestant, uh, oral one, pseudoephedrine is usually going to be your most effective if it's safe for you to take. So as I mentioned before, you have the oral version of a decongestant and then you have topical. So those are the nasal spray or decongestants that you take. So if you see Afrin that a lot of people are taking that have the decongestant in it, that's the nasal one. The problem with that one is you can only take it for two to three days. Please follow that direction on there. Gives you wonderful relief as a decongestant. But if you exceed those two to three days, you can get a rebound congestion or rhinitis. So essentially, you can have worsening symptoms than before you took the medication. So it can kind of help you get over the hump, but make sure that you are um, limiting it to the two or three days like they say on the box. The problem with topical decongestants is sometimes it can give you a, you know, a nosebleed. Some people can get, since it's, it's some agitation, um, and even with just the nasal decongestants, there are some patients that are sensitive enough that it can still raise your blood pressure. But it's an option for to give you some relief that's less likely to raise your blood pressure and heart rate like the other medications would. So we talked about what we got to do about pain. What can we do about our runny nose? What can we do about congestion? Some other things you can do, you know, that might be an option. So we talked to Walker. He had some significant side effects um, from his antihistamine by having BPH and he had some urinary retention after that, you can do um, some other options. So we have another nasal spray called intranasal ipotropium bromide. And that's something else you can actually get from your doctor, not over the counter, but it essentially can help with the runny nose and sneezing and things like that that you can see um, with having a cold. And it's actually very helpful um, with those symptoms. Other options, there are saline spray, so just the nasal saline that you can do um, that can be helpful sometimes. And then for my patients that are having a lot of cough and those types of things, you can do what we call expectorant, so what breaks up the mucus. So guafenicin or mucinex um, is kind of the -the over-the-counter name that we think of. Really, the studies have shown kind of some mixed reviews and only some marginal benefit if you take mucinex. But if you take mucinex and it works, take it. But like I tell patients before, mucinex only works well if you're drinking plenty, plenty, plenty of water. So if you're not getting the fluids that you need, a lot of times mucinex um, is not going to be a great option for you. So then the other question becomes, what about some of our other, you know, options people talk about? Another one that you see in the cold aisle uh, or when you're looking for cold remedies and things like that is zinc. So this one comes up a good bit. Is zinc really helpful for me when I have um, my cold? So again, conflicting studies about zinc. Zinc you can take in a pill form. It's okay to take zinc in a pill form. The one thing I want patients to avoid to help their cold 
hold is zinc preparations that are in the nose. So intranasal zinc. It actually has been removed in the USA because intranasal zinc was causing permanent loss of smell in some patients. So if you've got some old box of intranasal zinc from Zycam from years ago, um, throw it out because that's the known side effect of that uh, medication. Now, Zycam has come up with some intranasal treatment options and it's still Zycam, but you'll see on the bottom of it, it usually says zinc free and it's usually more homopathic like menthol or um I'm trying to think of what else is in there. Menthol, eucalyptus, those types of things that you use. So, But make sure oral zinc, mix conflicting studies if that really helps down the road. But if you're not having problems from it, I'm okay with you taking it. But making sure that you're avoiding um, the intranasal formulation of zinc. Interestingly enough, as we talk about homeopathic uh, treatments, one thing that has been proven to help um, some with cough is honey. So we talk about getting your local honey and you'll see honey in your cough drops and all that good stuff. That's because there have been several studies in adults and children that say that honey can um, significantly reduce cough frequency and severity. Um, don't forget as you're treating, don't give it to babies one years old or less, but anybody else, um, honey is a safe, effective option. My diabetics, I want you to be careful because honey tastes good and is sweet for a reason. Um, so monitor your blood sugars. But for most patients in general, um, doing some honey to help you with a cough is a wonderful option. So after that, we've talked about what can be effective and studies have shown us that's fairly effective. After this break, we'll talk a little bit about the things that are a little bit more controversial and not necessarily recommended in the management of treatment of our common colds. So from MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Women's Health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. Um, and we have been, I decided to mix it up a little bit uh, in preparation for our Thanksgiving that's coming up and talking about just colds because this is what we're seeing a lot of in the doctor's office today. And a lot of us are doing traveling and we're trying to figure out, do I need to make my way to an acute care clinic or can I hold out till I get home and see my doctor, um, those types of things. So we talked a little bit about, you know, the common cold is usually a, a lot of upper respiratory tract infections are viral in nature. They often, you oftentimes have the runny nose, the congestion, the sneezing, the cough, those types of things that are all essentially consistent um, with the cold. Now, of course, again, if you've got some underlying uh, medical conditions or considered immunocompromised or immunosuppressed, you know, you're a man is a little bit different than what I'm talking about in general. Or if you just look sick, running really high fevers, not looking well, blood pressures are low, those types of things. That's a different group of people that I'm talking about. This is for my kind of run-of-the-mill cold patients that we're talking about. So we talked a little bit about some things that have been proven to work um, for certain symptoms, um, such as decongestants, antihistamines, your Tylenol, your Motrin, those types of things. So what are some other things that are done sometimes that are not necessarily recommended? So one of the common things I run into in clinic that my patients are often fairly frustrated with me about is they come in, you know, with common cold symptoms for a couple of days, feel pretty bad. Um, and I promise them, I'm like, I get it up, you know, 
felt pretty bad in the past too, but you know, everyone's wanting an antibiotic within a, you know, two or three days. They want to feel better. They want to feel better immediately. And so, as I mentioned before, 90%, 90% of upper respiratory tract infections with those classic symptoms are oftentimes a viral illness. And so antibiotics are actually um, not recommended. And that's why we kind of get into this worry about the overuse of antibiotics and developing um, antibiotic resistance because we're treating infections that are viral. And viral infections, antibiotics really don't have a role unless you're dealing with some other type of bacterial infection on top of it. So um, not very effective. I also get common like, but my mucus, you know, or my drainage is, is changed color. Well, that goes along with our immune system doing a little bit, not a little bit, the immune system doing what it's supposed to do. So as our immune system fights infections, the change in color um, of your discharge is not uncommon. Now, if it's having an odor to it or something like that, again, a completely different situation. Um, But nine times out of 10, antibiotics are not necessarily recommended in these cases. The other thing that we get um, a lot of questions about are vitamin C. And so vitamin C, again, that's kind of up in the air. But there are some studies that show that vitamin C can be helpful um, in reducing some of the symptoms of um, coal. But the uh, benefit is very, very small. But to me, honestly, vitamin C is an okay one to take. It's a water-soluble vitamin. If you have too much of it, you essentially just pee it out get rid of it in your urine. So it doesn't cause you too much harm. Now, what the studies have not consistently shown is those very high doses of vitamin C. So you'll see the emergency, all those kind of things that the higher doses versus just like a smaller dose is not a significant difference um, in doing that. But if vitamin C, you know, makes you feel great when you have your cold, I say go for it. I don't really have a reason for people not to do that. The other one that some people get is codeine. So um, a lot of cough syrup sometimes can have codeine in it. That is you have to have a prescription for codeine. Um, Again, the studies on codeine are actually inconsistent and really don't show great benefit as a cough suppressant. There's a lot of good data for people with a chronic cough using codeine, but for those for a short course of having a cold, um, codeine is not necessarily our best option. The other thing is intranasal glucocorticoids. So we do this a lot in clinic, I will say that, but the the studies are not really consistent. And when I talk about intranasal glucocorticoids, I'm talk about fluticasone. So um, your Flonase that you're oftentimes getting um, over the counter is essentially what we're talking about, intranasal um, steroids. So not a treatment per se of the common cold, but for some of my patients that have a lot of nasal drainage, um, it can help some with that. So I have some people have benefit and it's not a whole lot of significant side effects of doing an intranasal um, glucocorticoid. So that's why a lot of people kind of recommend it as something to try to give people symptom relief. And then the last one, a humidifier. So humidifier, great for our babies because oftentimes they don't have a lot of options in general um, on what they can do. Um, So oftentimes we'll do the humidifier, but a lot of adults, there's not a lot of great uh, evidence that says that um, humidifiers help a whole lot um, with the management um, or treatment in colds in general. So I've talked a lot about about the viral causes um, such as rhinovirus, things like that. It is flu season. So we do have treatment for 
or flu, of course, if you're, you know, get into your doctor within 48 to 72 hours, you do have the option of uh, being treated for the flu. So we have antiviral treatment for the flu, not the common cold, um, but there is treatment for the flu. So get into your doctor if you've got symptoms that are concerning to you for the flu or you've been around somebody with the flu. Um, we do still have our antiviral medications. And then all those other things that I listed are still great options for symptomatic relief, such as controlling your fever um, with Tylenol or Motrin or helping with those body aches and muscle aches. All those things kind of are about the same um, when we talk about um, the flu as well. So what about the other one? They're like, so how, what about a bacterial infection? So a lot of my patients will call me. It's day one of their symptoms. They're like, this is the time every year, Dr. Kinsey, I get a sinus infection and I need to nip it in the bud today. Um, and so that becomes a challenging one because a lot of, again, as I mentioned before, a lot, the course of most kind of, uh, even like sinusitis, um, or those types of things is still about seven days or so. And so still most of the time is caused by a viral infection. So what are some things that can point out to you that I might be dealing with something a little bit more serious than a viral infection? And I do, in fact, need to be looking at antibiotics. And do I, in fact, have a sinus infection? So if you're running really high fevers, your flu is negative, um, those types of things, you just are continuing to get worse and not necessarily better. Of course, see your doctor um, for further evaluations. For our patients that have a lot of like sinus pressure and drainage, a lot of facial tenderness um, and those types of things that continue to persist for seven days or so or even more, or if you got better and then got worse again, a lot of times that's consistent um, more so with a bacterial cause of your sinus infection or, or, you know, as a cause of your symptoms. And then if uh, definitely if you've got some kind of nasal drainage that's got a significant odor to it, um, those are things that more so point you in the direction of a bacterial sinusitis or sinus infection. So those are the ones that typically... Um, we look at doing antibiotics for. Uh, contrary to popular belief, when you're talking about um, sinus infections and things of that nature, um, a lot of people call for their Z-Pack, but the, the first line option and the best coverage is augmenting. Good old penicillin, like we've been using in the, the penicillin family, is actually gives us better coverage for the bacteria that ultimately cause your sinus infection. Um, so unless you have a penicillin allergy, your doctor is not trying to, you know, trick you or anything like that. If they give you something a little bit different um, than they do, um, than doing the Z-Pack. Now, um, of course, there are some, as I mentioned before, if you've got a penicillin allergy or some other issue, then Z-Pack may be the option that your doctor goes for um, instead of that. Other things that have probably fallen a little bit out of, of favor, at least not as first line, is we used to use what we call fluoroquinolones or Levaquin. It was like essentially this wonderful drug that covered so many different bugs. Um, but, you know, now with the use of those fluoroquinolones, we've seen some side effects in some patients that it can cause um, tendonitis. And I've actually had that happen in a few patients. Um, significant um, shoulders uh, are, have been a common sight that I've seen it. So now that's a pretty significant side effect. So the recommendations now, if you need a fluoroquinolone, yes, by far, please, you know, use it if that's what 
your doctor thinks is needed or based off of your infection. But again, that's something that's not uh, necessarily first line. So no one's trying to trick you when you go to the clinic if they're, uh, you know, recommending some different antibiotics than what we've done in the past, because I always tell um, my kids and I try to live by it myself when I know better, I try to do better. And so in medicine, we kind of try to do the same thing. The more we learn about the things we're doing for our patients, trying to um, make sure we do a good job at adjusting our practice based off of those recommendations. So again, if you were, you know, getting a little bit better and then got worse over the course, um, you're running those high fevers, something's just not right. Those are all reasons to get evaluated um, by a doctor versus just trying to, you know, power through at home, if if so to say, as far as your cold symptoms go. The other kind of common symptom that patients have with a cold that you're trying to, I guess, ultimately figure out what do I need to do um, is if you're having a lot of ear pain. So you can see some ear pain, of course, if you're having the congestion and the pressure and those types of things. But again, if it's not really resolving, getting that checked out to see if you do, in fact, have an ear infection, because if you've got an ear infection, again, that's another another thing that might warrant you getting um, antibiotic treatment. Sometimes you might just have some fluid behind the ears that's causing you some discomfort or pain like that. But again, you're not able to see that essentially. Um, So a lot of times we uh, oftentimes have to get people um, to ultimately help us with that as well. So those are some indications um, for somebody that might need to look at actually doing an antibiotic for their symptoms versus trying to do some of these things over the counter. So one thing I hadn't dived a little bit into, but a lot of times, sometimes with a cold, we can have um, a sore throat. And so I want to talk a little bit about sore throat that's not always just from your typical cold virus. Um, so you can oftentimes in your cold get sore throat. You've got a lot of post-nasal drip that's going on. And we all know when you get that bad cough, it is painful, um, essentially, to um to your throat and can definitely cause some irritation. But people always worry, you know, when I get a sore throat, how do I know if I'm dealing with strep throat or if I need to get that, um, checked out. I will honestly say it was probably about five years ago that I had my first, I had a strep throat as a child. So of course I don't really remember that technically, but five years ago I got strep throat and I felt like I had been hit by a truck and I felt so bad because, you know, when I see when my, one of my kids had it, I was just like, Oh, it's a sore throat. Like, here's your antibiotics here. Like, stop, you know, you did wine and it's a sore throat. We're fixing it. My gosh, now I have a true respect for strep throat um, at the at this stage because you can feel pretty bad from strep throat. So, of course, a classic symptom in adults is a sore throat. So a painful throat. Things that point towards a sore throat, you know, that being more of strep throat. Nine times out of 10, interestingly enough, um, most sore throats are are viral again, and only about 10% of those are actually caused by strep throat. But things that make you worry that this is maybe I do need to get to the doctor over this holiday break or this week and not wait to see somebody is if you've got the pain in your throat in addition to running a fever. So a fever we consider at the doctor's office is 100.4 or higher. Um, If you've got enlarged uh, lymph nodes in your neck, that is consistent more so um, with a strep throat. And definitely you're looking back there, it's red. You've got those... uh, 
pus pockets and those things are the white patches that you're seeing back there. And then a doc, if you're looking back there, it looks red and it's like, ooh, it looks like uh, these kind of like red spots back there in the back of your throat. Um, we call that like petechia that you get in your throat. And it's almost kind of sen- essentially classic for a strep throat. You can get a lot of these things with um, a viral uh, pharyngitis, but it's more likely to be strep the more of those symptoms you have. And honestly, if you don't have a cough, it's it actually increases your risk of that more likely being strep throat than some viral illness causing your symptoms. And the only way for you to know, of course, is to get tested. And that's the rapid strep test. And we know it right there in the clinic right away, whether or not you do, in fact, have strep throat. If, this, if the story is still a little bit questionable, um, we always, if that rapid strep is negative, we send it off for a culture. Um, and if that culture is positive, of course, we'll always call you back. But if you got strep throat, comes back positive, um, then we usually will, of course, we'll go ahead and treat you um, with antibiotics. And again, penicillin being the uh, top choice for that. So oftentimes you get strep throat. Um, they'll give you a penicillin shot there in the uh, doctor's office if they have it available, or they may order you um, the oral amoxicillin um, for it. And then again, as I mentioned before, with other things, Tylenol, Motrin, those types of things to ultimately um, help with your fever as well. So what are some things that can cause a sore throat that's not that? But again, we know mono can do it, flu can do it, um, and some other infections can kind of give you similar symptoms as that. It's also important, you know, as I tell patients, be honest with your doctor, you know, your sexual history, all of that can contribute as well. And there are some sexually transmitted diseases um, that can give you um, a a pharyngitis type picture. Um, One of those big ones being gonorrhea. So if you've got, you know, vaginal discharge along with this sore throat and some other things going on, then no, we don't need to wait. We need to get onto the doctor um, and essentially see um, what else is going on as well. And so I think that pretty much covers a lot of the common calls. So how do we prevent it? I think everybody knows that. I think we have turned into this very uh, health conscious as far as cleansing. <laughs> I would say my uh, I'll never forget uh, my three year old daughter, the her her brother was coming out of the bathroom and she looks at him and she's like did you wash your hands and then I realized that clearly that's what she hears me say all the time so of course you know as we get together uh, with family and friends over the Friendsgiving Thanksgiving all those things over um, the next uh, week or so things that we know that can be very helpful is hand washing hand washing hand washing hand hygiene is one of the best things we can do my family teases me all the time if you come to my house there's like hand sanitizer everywhere you turn your head and you can like essentially put some hand sanitizer on your hand. There's multiple in my car. I always have some in my purse. So hand hygiene is going to be one of the biggest things that can protect you um, from, of course, uh, getting a lot of these respiratory viruses. Also, you know, is it being respiratory the way we get it from other people is through the air, it kind of coming through your nose, those types of things. So if you're sick and you're about to go be around your family members and you feel like you're coming down with something, but you just don't want to miss seeing somebody, put your mask on. It can help with the cold. You know, I tell patients all you know, it all came out with the controversy, mass, no mass, those types of things. I'm like, I work in a clinic and I can tell you, I don't know how many coals I see, you know, and, and overall knock on wood do fairly okay based off of the number of patients I see. Now what my kids give me when I get to the house, that's a whole different uh, situation, but 
masks can help when you have a lot of those symptoms. So if you're coughing and all those things, just protect your loved ones and put your mask on while you're around them so that hopefully we aren't spreading too many things to everyone. And then, of course, making sure that we wash our hands. And I tell everyone, if in doubt, you know, there's lots of different clinics, urgent cares. Your doctors usually have someone that's on call if you can't figure out if you need to be seen or if this is something that can wait. Um, That's always a great option for you is to call your doctor and see what you can do and see what they recommend if this is something um, that needs to be taken care of right away as well. Again, we are still seeing COVID. It is still there. I'm still getting phone calls with COVID positive tests. And again, all those symptoms can be consistent with COVID as well. Fever, cough, congestion, sore throat, runny nose, all those things, again, can be consistent with COVID. Um, And so making sure that you're, if you're concerned about COVID, getting tested. We still do have the antiviral treatments for COVID. So my patients that are higher risk, if you've got other medical problems, um, if you're over the age of 65, you know, all those things, um, most patients can still do the Paxlovid is is the first line treatment and is available um, at most pharmacies. Um, Just make sure you're talking to your doctor or your pharmacist because depending on what medications you are on, you may have to change those a little bit as well. So I really hope this helps somebody out over this next kind of holiday. And I just want everybody to have a happy Thanksgiving or a happy Friendsgiving or, you know, what you may have and try to be safe out there um, and take care of one another. This is Southern Remedy Women's Health. It's a production of the Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. Today's show was engineered by Abram Nanny. I am Dr. Jasmine Kinsey. Join us next Friday at 11 for Southern Remedy Women's Health and stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.